All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. As a self-professed Christian man stood on the porch of the little ranch house screaming at him, Hooley thought back to a couple of weeks ago when this man had a different opinion of him. The knock had come as Hooley was putting his reading glasses away. He needed the darn things in order to see the little black and red words in the Bible that he read every night, but they always left the bridge of his nose feeling like someone had tricked him into wearing a mighty tight clothespin between his eyes. He massaged the lump between his eyes with his finger and his thumb when a knock at the door had startled him as much as it did his sleeping cow dog. He wondered if he was going to need reading glasses for his ears in the near future. Hooley opened the door and the little man from the church looked uncomfortable. Hooley invited him in, but the man just stood there on the porch. Sir, the little man stammered, uh, I, I, I don't really know who else to turn to, but there's a brother from the church that's been going through a divorce, and I just got a call from the local bar that said he was passed out on a table down there. They knew he went to church with us and asked if we might be willing to go help the poor guy get home. Hooley waited in the silence was a little uncomfortable as a cow dog sniffed the little man's nice and shiny suit pants. Finally, after what seemed an eternity, the man finished. I, I, I don't really feel comfortable going in such an establishment as that, but I've heard that you used to be an outlaw and frequented those kinds of places, and maybe you could go and, and, and get him. Hooley left him standing there and then returned to the front door. He hadn't even taken time to pull his pants down over his boots. He grabbed his hat off the horseshoe near the door and said, You don't fret none. I'll be glad to help. Later on that week, he ran into that same church guy that was standing on his porch, and the man just gushed his thanks. He went on and on about how he wished that there were more good Christians like Hooley willing to do the Lord's work for those in need. Hooley just shook the fancy guy's hand and kindly thanked him for his words. Now standing on the same porch with that same man, but this time he was red-faced and shouting at Hooley, How dare you bring such shame on our little church? I thought you were a good Christian man, but now I believe you to be a true outlaw of the worst kind. I hope we never cross paths again. I know you were in that bar the other night drinking and boozing it up with all of your cowboy buddies. The thought crossed Hooley's mind to explain to this jerk that an old friend had phoned him from the bar. He'd told Hooley that he was only going to be in town for an hour or so and he'd really needed to talk to him. Hooley drove down and sat with the man. They talked about the cattle market and how no one even broke their own horses anymore. They wanted a $10,000 horse in 30 days but only wanted to spend 150 bucks to get it done. They both had a good chuckle. After an hour, Hooley had nursed the same beer his friend had bought him while he watched the other man drink about four. Finally, the man took a deep breath and Hooley knew he was fixing to learn the real reason for the invite. Hooley, I didn't know who else to turn to. I've lost my job, my wife, my life, and I feel like I'm slipping away. I've always known you were a good man and a good cowboy and a good Christian. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Hooley just sat there in silence and took a drink of beer and once again just waited. What do I have to do to get to know the Lord like you do, Hooley? I want Him to take the reins to my life, but gosh darn it, I ain't got a clue in what direction to start or even what to say. The man could hardly meet Hooley's eyes as he spoke. Hooley smiled and said, Amigo, you're a lot closer than you really know. When they walked out of that bar, 
Huli walked with a different man than the one that had gone in. The fellow in the three-piece suit was still giving Huli a good Christian cussing when he snapped out of his recollection of the little man's perceived offense. Huli interrupted the rambling and said, Do you know what the definition of irony is, son? The guy shut his mouth as Huli smiled and led him to the front of the porch where, like they were a father and a son. Huli looked off in the far distance as he said, you know, I was praised for going into that establishment, as you like to call it, and saving a Christian man. Yet now, you come to my home and stand on my porch and curse me with your counterfeit religion for going in the same place to save someone that was lost. Before the man could say anything, Huli backed up and kicked him right straight in the butt and sent him flying out into the dirt. You can call me an outlaw, son, but don't you ever disrespect my porch again. And with that... Huli walked in and shut the door. Today, we're going to talk about that very thing, what Huli called it, counterfeit religion. In Jesus' day, counterfeit religion was rampant. The establishment of the church wanted to do things a certain way and act a certain way, and when Jesus came in, he blew a hole in everything that they thought they believed in and thought was good. Jesus' fight was with counterfeit religion as much as it was to come save the lost. Jesus was scandalous. He was passionate. And he looked for real men for a real job. Why do I say that Jesus was scandalous? Well, let me tell you what, folks. There's a story about the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And just a little bit of background, I'm not going to go too much into it because we got a lot to cover, but uh, any good Jewish person, any good Jew wouldn't be caught in, dead in Samaria. Samaritans were when Assyria invaded uh, Judea and, and they, they bred with the Jews and so the Samaritan people were like half Jew, half uh, something or other, Assyrian and stuff like that and the Jews couldn't stand them. But Jesus walks into Samaria and he sits down at the well at noon. People would, or in the mornings they'd go get water and in the evenings they would come get water but this woman showed up about lunchtime. Why? Because she had a past and she was living in sin with, with another man that wasn't her wife and she didn't want to endure the shame. And she finds a guy sitting there at the well. And Jesus talks to her and it blows her mind. And I can just imagine that they're in Samaria. Jesus is with his disciples and I'm sure they're like, you sure you want to go in this place? And Jesus is like, yeah, man, let's, let's go. And so Jesus just kind of sits down at the well and this, this woman comes up to him and he starts talking to her. Folks, that was scandalous in that day. And let me try to put it in perspective. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be crude. But let's say that Jesus and his disciples are walking through town and instead of going the long way around, they cut right through the red light district. And they're walking along, and I know Peter, James, and John, and all of them are looking around. Oh, we're going to catch a lot of flack for this. And Jesus says, getting hungry and thirsty, it's about lunch. Let's go in this gentleman's club right here, and let's have us a bite to eat. That was the equivalent of what they had done in that day. Now think about that, what would happen if a Christian did that to this day. They would be rocked with scandal. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Jesus didn't care what the religious institution thought about his methods. 
Don't forget, just in case, because that religious thought in our heads, well, that's all good and well, but we're not Jesus. But think about this. Jesus never sinned. And here he was in a place that no good Jew would ever be caught in, and he's talking to a woman who's living in sin that has a past, that has a present. Present. And he's sitting there and he's talking to her. He's not making a mistake. Scandalous. Counterfeit religion will shun people for their past, and especially their present. But real religion reaches out to those people right to where they were, right to where they are. Jesus was scandalous in his day to the religious institution. Jesus was also passionate in John chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. You don't have to turn over there. We're not going to be there real quick, but it says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a bullwhip out of cords and drove all everyone from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Does that sound like the Jesus that you have pictured? The whoo? No. He done done gone out there and braided him a bullwhip and he's done chasing people out of there. Jesus was passionate. Why did he do that? Just to show that he could? No. They were doing everything for the wrong reasons. What used to be taking the best from your flock, the absolute best, and sacrificing it before the Lord to give thanks, people were going in there and going, well, I got a couple of pennies. Let me have that dove. I'll go sacrifice that one. It meant nothing. It meant nothing. I asked permission to do this. And she said it was okay. Little, uh, little do y'all know that my wife went to school to be a youth pastor. She did not finish. Why? One of the main reasons was because a guy came up to her and he said, Christy, could I borrow your vehicle? I don't have one. Christy had a lot to do that day, but in the act of Christian charity, she said, you know what? You take it. It's full of gas. Here, take my, take my vehicle. And so she walked everywhere that day in downtown Dallas. And then the next day, whenever she got her car back, it was on empty. No big deal. And she goes into school all happy to be doing the Lord's work and learn how to reach people. She gets called into the dean's office. And the dean chastised her and prayed over her and called other people in because the guy that had borrowed her car went in there and told her the dean, that he had borrowed Christie's car and that none of the preset radio stations were set to a Christian station. How awful is that? Chastised her, got onto her, shook their fingers in her face and prayed for her redemption because she wasn't listening to the Christian radio station. Jesus was passionate, and I guarantee you, if he'd have been in bodily form in that deal, he'd have turned over a desk or two, don't you think? Counterfeit religion tries to categorize and label what good followers touch, taste, and tune their radios to. But real religion looks at the motive of the heart and the desire for God. Jesus needed real men for real jobs. 
When Jesus called his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22, it says, As Jesus walked, was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Don't you think there was some more qualified candidates to be Jesus' disciples than a bunch of fishermen? Why didn't Jesus send out applications to the local synagogues? Hear ye, hear ye. The Honorable Rabbi Mr. Christ is looking for qualified applicants for the role of disciple. Upon completion of this three-year assignment, you will become apostles. Submit your resumes and three sermons to 1122 Nazareth Avenue in Nazareth. If selected, you will see many miraculous wonders and be responsible for taking the new covenant into the world. However, all but one of you will die for this and he will be banished to the Isle of Patmos where he will write Revelation. That didn't happen. Jesus needed real men with real beliefs, not clouded by counterfeit religion. Not worried about looking pretty and praying with big words and, and letting, you know, requiring that they sit at the head of the table because they were men of God. Nah, he went out and got him some fishermen. Political activists. Shoot, he even went and got him an IRS official. Well, they were called tax collectors back then, but you get the point. <laughs> Jesus needed real men for a real job. Counterfeit religion looks good on the outside, but it's the inside that it's a real mess. Real religion is for real cowboys and cowgirls worshiping a real God who really loves them. So what does the Bible say about counterfeit religion? Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the, of the world such as don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch this? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate. deteriorate. They, they go bad. <laughs> Y'all ever had Elmer Fudd read the Bible to you? <laughs> These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion. Pious self. Pious means like uppity. Uppity, self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Let me tell you a story about a counterfeit religion catch pen. Imagine this world is like a ranch. As soon as we sin, when sin entered the world, there's an ear tag put in everybody's ear that marks you as part of the devil's property. When we sin, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that he could clip that ear tag off of you so that no longer would you be marked as the devil's property but now his. Well, the devil couldn't stop that. He was like, oh my gosh, all people have to do is believe in the Son of Man 
the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and no, I can't touch Him anymore. How am I going to control this? That's the devil talking. How am I going to control this? And so he looks at his other evil cowboys and cowgirls and the devil says, watch this. And he gets a big poster board and he sets a pin up over here on the side and he says, good Christians, go in here. And he sticks it on the wall. And so people come to know Christ and they're like, there's a sign right there that says good Christians must come in here. Surely we must go in there. So they walk in there and at that time they are handed the counterfeit religious handout written by the devil. It looks good. The sign says good Christians must come in here. And the religious handout says this. Upon entering here, you will be required to uphold the following standards. You are to humbly admit that you are a sinner, but be sure to admonish, rebuke, and point out all other people's sins and shortcomings. That's your job. Be sure that you look the part in everything that you do. You need to learn very lofty and big words like sanctimony, justification, mercy, service, righteousness, transformation, love, worship, spiritual, forgiveness, ecclesia, and that was my Greek word right there, buddy. Ecclesia and faith. Don't worry about understanding these words. Just throw them out there as often as you can and look down your nose if anybody asks you to explain them. You will be required to gather the lost, but do not go out into the world and do it. You need to stay right here and yell from the gate that they're going to hell. That's what a good Christian does. Very few of you will actually ever experience God the way He intended, but don't let anyone else know that. It will get you kicked out of the good Christian pen. Just tell everyone how wonderful He is, whether you think it or not. Choose a preacher from among you that you can make snide comments about on Facebook and if he dares step on your toes with the gospel, then immediately try to ruin his ministry and spread wild rumors about him and his family. Let's do that. Learn the Bible so you can use it against people that you're mad at. That's a great tool. And the last thing that the religious handout, the counterfeit, religious handout says is this get offended oh please get offended often and use that as an excuse to lie manipulate gossip and criticize you know what I have to say about this and that's what we should all do with it because we've all been guilty of some of that stuff that's not that's not real that's counterfeit religion right there the devil's greatest feat was pinning up the Christians in religion and making them ineffective. Religious people will go to heaven if they believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of mankind. There's no doubt about it. I'm not saying that the people in that religious pen are not saved. They are. They have to be. But most of what Jesus did was not in the religious catch pen but in the countryside. Did you know in the Gospel of Matthew that there are 34 intimate situations where Jesus talked to somebody, used their name, touched them, or something like that? There's 34 intimate situations with Jesus and only one takes place in a church in the entire 28 chapters of Matthew. Did you know that in the Gospel of Mark, the shortest Gospel, there are 26 such instances and only two 
take place in the church. The rest of it take place out in the countryside. So what do we do? This is all great information. Some of us haven't come to Jesus Christ because we've looked in that religious catch pen and said, I don't want to go in there. So I must not be a good Christian. I'm not going to do that. If you keep reading Colossians chapter 3, that was at the end of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Did you get that? I think it was Buddy at the Truth Project said, what's the longest distance that you can measure? The distance from a person's heart to their head. Because we can believe in our hearts that we need to do something or be something or something like that. But convincing our minds of it is another thing. And that's what it says right here. Set your hearts on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are from above. Look up. Let's break free. Let's climb that fence and experience God out there where He told us to go out into all the world and tell people about Him and learn to love Him and introduce our friend Jesus to people that are lost and hurting. Let's break free, climb the fence, and experience God the way that He was meant to be. Loving Jesus. Living for Jesus. Setting our hearts and minds on things from above, not things down here. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that doesn't mean just us. That means our ministry. He's pinned us up. Religion has pinned us up where we are no longer effective. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I invite you to get that ear tag clipped out of you today. You don't have to go in that religious catch pen. You go out there and be the cowboy or cowgirl that God's called you to be. Climb out and saddle up for the ride of your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, give me the courage, honesty, respect, integrity, strength, and truth to ride for you. From here on out, I will do what you would have me do. Go where you would have me go. Say what you would have me say. And be who you would have me be. Not for my will or my glory, but for yours. In your name I pray. Amen.